anymore. Yeah, we don't want this to be that gray cloud that hangs over someone's head every time they get into course development. You take it not just from a policy implementation standpoint, but from a how can I better my course perspective, it's actually going to be a helpful tool to, to put in the toolkit. Welcome to the Pedagogy Toolkit. In this episode, Alex and Cami discuss regular and substantive interaction, or RSI, and how it applies as a policy and for instructors to implement in their course. Stick around. Kimmy, have you ever had the Sunday scaries? Almost like every Sunday, I have the Sunday scaries. Oh, no. Which, is, <laughs> which makes me laugh because I actually really like working here. That's um, good. It's a job that, you know, I enjoy, but still, it's a different schedule than your weekend, you know? And I always feel like there's so much I don't finish on the weekend that I'm I feel overwhelmed at the end of it because yeah. I did not get to all those things. And then I've got to start a new week and I'm not ready for the week because I don't have, you know, all my meals prepped and all of that. And then I feel like, oh, I just can't relax on Sunday evening like I want to. Yeah. So it's the becoming dependent on somebody else or not dependent, but becoming relying on a, a wider societal schedule that kind of gives you the anxiety when you're saying like you've got your time to yourself on the weekends you can do what you want when you want to do it and then when monday is starting to loom on sunday evening you're like oh i gotta i gotta shift gears and start getting into the 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 nine to five mindset and that can be a little little unnerving yeah a lot of it has to do with uh i guess just being on other people's schedules because i feel like i can honor my needs a little better when i'm on my own schedule oh for sure for sure yeah i i can relate i don't know if i feel it in the the sense of dread from, oh, no, I got to go to work because I'm, I'm like you. I, I really do enjoy being here, working in instructional design, working with this team, working with our instructors. You know, if our manager's listening right now, he's going to, you know, hopefully, <laughs> <laughs> hopefully think that we're sucking up to him really Ken, good. this is yeah. not a ploy, okay? We really mean it. Yeah. I think it, it comes down to, oh, no, there's this bigger norm that's kind of looming over me that I that I know I need to stick to this this societal regulation in a sense yes. that is okay I have to be up at a certain time and that means that then I have to make sure that I'm ready at a certain time and for me I have to make sure my kids are ready at a certain time we're out the door at a certain time and stick to this this way of doing things to ensure that I'm meeting quote unquote the the right way to do it and that can that can loom a little bit unnervingly especially like you said if I didn't get everything done that I wanted to over the weekend, or I don't feel as rested from the weekend as maybe right. I wanted to be. Because you got too many things done. Yeah, because of X, Y, Z going on around me. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's not necessarily, I some people, unfortunately, probably do feel that because they don't have a good environment that they're heading into. You know, if I, I've heard this, this is a little bit of a colloquialism, but I don't know if that's the right way to use that word. But if uh, it's anecdote, I'll just say that if, if you're a person who likes at least 70% of your job and your your regular duties, that is a fantastic percentage. And you need to hang on to that job like grim death. <laughs> oh, like if there's only 30% of say admin or regulation or, or things that you have to do that you don't enjoy doing, that's actually pretty good. So stick with that job as much as possible. <laughs> and so I've kind of kept to that for the most part. If, if, I, if I can enjoy two thirds of what I do, I, I know I'm going to have to fill things out that I don't like to fill out. I'm going to have to yeah. complete reports or do paperwork or have meetings that just kind of drag, drag. Al- yeah, drag along. And part of that could be the Sunday scaries as well. Oh, I know I've got some of that 30% coming up first thing Monday morning. Ugh. Yeah. And I know people say, you know, just eat the frog. Do those first things that feel bad to you, right? You know, first thing in, in the week, first thing in the morning, you do like your hardest task. I've never heard the phrase eat the frog. You've never heard eat the frog. Okay, so there's like a whole story behind it where basically if the worst thing that you have to do every day is eat in frog, you do that first thing in the morning and then you have only good things to look forward to in the day. And so it's the same idea, but it's like, what are your frogs in the day? What are the things that 
you dread the most. And now with meetings, you can't really move those to the first part because right. they're scheduled usually. But we we put those first things first, the dreaded things first, and then your day just gets better. That's kind of the Interesting. idea. Interesting. Okay. It. I got you. Or it's kind of the antithesis your, of eat the elephant. Yes. One bite at a time. Well, I don't think it's the antithesis. I think it's like a complimentary thing. Okay. Um, because you're not swallowing your frog whole, right? You, oh, I was picturing swallowing it whole. <laughs> I was picturing. I mean, I'm not sure why you would want to mouth. chew a frog. Um, and this comes from a person who also does not eat frog legs. I was going to say this has to be born out of a, of, a, of a cultural background where frog legs were not a delicacy. Because growing up in Missouri, people go gigging. Yes, I'm I'm used to that. That's You'd eat frog legs. That's normal. That's not time. a bad thing. I'm a Southeast Arkansas girl. That's that's yeah. definitely a thing. So I wonder. Where, I'll have to do a deep dive into where the origins of Eat the Frog came from. I'm, I'm learning new things today. I don't know. I, I can send you what I have. Okay. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, and or eat the elephant one bite at a time. Like it's just getting, I guess, eat the elephant one bite at a time kind of is more persistence. Yeah, it's more of like piecemeal things together if it seems big and overwhelming. Stop procrastinating. Eat the frog. Yeah. It, don't procrastinate. Yeah. Whatever the case, that's a, that's a high protein diet that's probably going <laughs> to wreck your digestive system. <laughs> if you're eating elephants and frog all the time. I couldn't imagine. There's got to be some fiber in there somewhere, right? I'm not no sure. Comment. What, I'm not sure what what side dishes go with elephants and frogs because I eat neither. But yeah, eat the frog. That's we, gonna, we took a detour. Yes, we did. <laughs> yeah. So the Sunday scaries, it can be a thing, even when you really enjoy your job. It's just kind of getting into that regulatory schedule that people expect from you and you know it's something that people expect from you so it feels more pressured i think than you just being able to go in and say these are the things i have to do i don't know why i don't know why yeah it's in any iteration of work or hobbies or activities we probably want to lean more towards the things that we get to do and we enjoy doing versus the things that we know we have to do even within those spheres and i think this is where we're we're going to segue into what the concept we want to talk about today in pedagogy, especially with online instruction, and that's regular and substantive interaction. Right. As a, as a side note, do you say substantive? Substantive? How do you? So. <laughs> I'm going to say both probably throughout this. Just <laughs> So I'm actually glad you brought this up because I wanted to talk about it today um, for all of our listeners, because I say Regular and substantive interaction. Some people say regular and substantive, substantive interaction. Yep. Or, uh, interaction, sorry. And throughout this podcast, we might call it RSI because <laughs> that is a heck of a lot easier yes. to say uh, and takes less energy to say than either one of those other options. So you didn't even address my my other one, substantive, because that's substantive. just that's probably just a Southwest Mo. I think that's got to be it. I've never slang heard coming out like little. That's got to be my. I actually just thought that was like a bloop. It's probably f- from the same people who eat the frog. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably why they say substantive. Man, that, that, that frog was substantive <laughs> in my mouth just then. <laughs> that was Alex, a you're not supposed meal. to eat the frog whole. You can take a few bites. <laughs> there I am shoving the whole frog in my mouth. See, that's what it is. See, if you come from a place that eats frog legs, how do you not know that you don't eat your frog whole? Well, because it's it's just the legs. But you said eat the frog, so I just pictured a whole frog <laughs> going in my mouth. I'm, I'm just I think it's I think it's the idea of the, the dreaded, okay, I gotta get this over with. And the fastest way to get this over with is just to shove the whole dadgum thing so, into my mouth. And mm. sometimes that's what the Sunday scaries feel like. Yeah. And also regular and substantive interaction. Yeah. Because you know, that same kind of vibe around Sunday scaries where we talk about, you know, just that. I guess the expectation of a systematic routine from someone else, that's kind of the same vibe we get when we talk about RSI. Yeah. It's just that it's something that someone else is expecting from us. It feels like something else that we have to do. And it feels a little bit pressured because it's tied to all these guidelines and it's being pushed so heavily right now. For sure. For those who are listening who might be new to online instruction or just new to policy like this or just or hearing about RSI for the first time, would you mind giving a quick overview definition or description of where it came from and, and what it is? Yeah, absolutely. So RSI is a policy from the United States Department of Education. This is a federal policy 
that ensures higher education institutions offering online courses, and these are distance education courses, not correspondence courses, follow federal guidelines for interaction between students and instructors. It's the instructor's job to proactively engage with their students and give them monitored feedback, so or, or feedback based on their monitored progress in the course, basically. So if students are turning in, and it has to be timely feedback okay, uh, and regularly done. Now, they don't really define regularly, so we can't say it has to be three times a week, right? Right. But um, what I tell people is what I think of is like once a week. You should at least, yeah. at least once a week, you should yeah. be checking in on your students. Because yeah. um, you're already scaring me a little bit just by the the shift in tone that we have to take with that because you're using the words like federal and guidelines and monitor and and it, that, so that's where we're we're seeing right. there's already this this shift in how we implement well what we're talking about and they've come out with this guideline where you're required to put how you're meeting this federal guideline in your syllabus you say they referring specifically to remind me is that a is that a U.S. Department of Ed policy, or is that a more recent University of Arkansas provost office has just announced that? Yes. And so we here at the U of A are requiring that. Yes. So other people not at the University of Arkansas, if you're listening, check with your university. Yes, because I've been having conversations with instructors just recently as we're wrapping up some some courses. Hey, we've got this new policy. Here's here's how you can put the policy in your syllabus, but here's examples of how you're already doing it because I've been, we've been making sure we're doing that naturally throughout the the build of this course. Right. And but we're putting it as a policy now that has to be in your syllabus. And that's kind of the conversation we want to have today too is yes, this is a policy. Yes, it's a definite shift in tone when you start talking about <laughs> things like regular and substantive interaction, monitoring students' academic progress. Right. You know, um and so that sounds very different, but really it's just about you planning to do that monitoring, and these are most likely things that you already do. Giving them feedback, and by them I mean students, giving your students feedback that allows them to grow and learn in your course. And I, I found some good articles and resources which we'll link in the show notes, and one of them really talked about the heart of RSI really lies in the, if you think about an online course as a sandwich or you know a hamburger this is the beef. This is that that meaty part in the center that if you're really taking time to focus on how your students are learning, how you're interacting with them, how you're engaging back and forth, which requires that intentionality in an asynchronous environment, this is going to take care of itself. Uh, there was a great quote from this article from WCET that said, compliance mattered to faculty, but pride in their courses and a student-centered focus mattered even more. And by doing that, yeah, you're not focusing on just I'm going to meet the policy for meeting the policy's sake, but I am taking pride in my course. I want to be engaged in my course. I want to make sure that the students are engaged and we're having substantive discussion, substantive interaction with content, and I'm checking in with them regularly because I care about their progress. That's going to take care of this policy. So I think that's something we can say probably up front just to quell any fears or concerns of how do we meet this? How do we do this? And it's... If you are engaged in your course regularly, weekly, I think is a good starting point. Like you said, at least once a week for an asynchronous course, and you're interacting with students in multiple learning activities, posting announcements, providing discussion feedback, providing actual feedback, not just setting a course on, hitting auto grade on all the quizzes, and then checking back in at the end of the semester, right? Those are two very different experiences. Yes. And so... I'll say two things. One, when I say once a week, I do mean for a 16-week course. Yes. If you're in an eight-week course, I would bump that up to twice a week. For sure. Because course length matters when you're talking about these things. And two, I think that teaching is inherently reflective and evaluative uh, of yourself as a teacher. You know, Um, of course, you evaluate your students, but you also kind of evaluate what's working and what's not. And... That's kind of just part of RSI as well. You're thinking and reflecting and evaluating on the practices that you're using as a teacher to see, are they working 
and actually adding to your students' growth. Yeah, I would I would 100% agree. It's it's going to come down to who do I want to be? What kind of teacher do I want to be? What kind of instructor do I want to be? Making that proactive choice to to be involved with student progress and not just putting it all on them to to learn and figure it out. So, I mean, in in many ways it's you know, we could we could open it up. I don't know if we need to get super philosophical on pedagogical approach, but it it really does kind of get to that distinction um, where are you the type of instructor, to, like I mentioned earlier, to set a course on and walk away and expect that they – and that's that's a very different modality. That's that's a self-paced right. course, which is very different than, a, than, a one, than an online asynchronous course. Right. And so understanding your definitions and understanding the expectations from the start is super important. You mentioned like correspondence courses are right. very different setup. That's more of very a self-paced course. Yeah, yeah, very different expectation. And RSI has, is something that has been around for, for a while, but it definitely has taken on a new form since 2020. Like in October of 2020 was when, if we remember, midst of the pandemic, some, mm-hmm. some updates and, and regulatory clarifications were provided because a lot of remote teaching was was pretty much all we had. And so that really kind of became the Wild West for a while here when it came to <laughs> yeah. online instruction. And that upended some of the, the asynchronous established courses, synchronous courses. And you had lots of instructors and faculty and teachers from all across the country, all across the world. Obviously, we're talking specifically U.S. Um, federal education implementation. But... There just needed to be some some further clarification, and we're downstream of that now. But we've learned from that what works, what doesn't work, and we're keeping some of the components that we realized. Hey, we need to have a clearer microscope or a clearer lens on some of these ways to interact with students to ensure success. For actually, it can be synchronous, but it's mostly asynchronous courses online. Yeah, I think. So, you know, online instruction has been happening for a very long time, uh, even prior to the pandemic. But the pandemic really brought a microscope to practices that weren't working, um, that weren't engaging students. Yeah. Can you give an example? Can I give an example? Yes, I will definitely say opening your course and not talking to your students (laughs) until the very end. That is an example. Um, Also, I think that... Interacting online is very different. Uh, so in in-person classes or even in synchronous classes, you can check in on students. You can have um, off-the-cuff conversations with your students that can happen. And in asynchronous environments, you never actually have that opportunity. Right. And so those things really have to be intentionally built into your course. And people who don't uh, think through that may not know to set it up that way, right? right. And so that, for me, uh, is really the the biggest um, kind of error that happens in course design for asynchronous courses is not intentionally setting up, one, for what your audience actually is, because you have to know your students. Are you working with traditional undergrads, 18 to 22-year-olds? Yeah. Are you working with you know, 30-somethings who are parents and have two jobs and, mm-hmm. you know, maybe uh, an aging parent to care for. So knowing who these people are, number one, so that you can serve them best, but also knowing how learning happens um, and knowing that conversations and that connection in a classroom, whether it's synchronous, in-person, online, asynchronous, those are all incredibly important to the learning process. Learning is very social. Absolutely. I would, and to even put another example on top of that, I would always encourage instructors to think about what's your ratio of learning activities and informal assessment that mm-hmm. is auto-graded versus grading that you actually have to, to take time to put eyes on and give actual feedback to that's going to hit some of that substantive as well because it's nice that if you have low stakes testing and quizzing built into your course which is something yeah, we advocate we do that helps some of the the legwork that that is required get get pushed forward 
But if you only have that, or if that's 90% of what students are being assessed with in the class, they might be getting some recall and they might be hitting some of those lower taxonomies. They might be able to define a few things. They might be able to identify a few things when it comes to the content of your course, but they're not working, working at that higher level. That's going to yeah. require the, the feedback from the instructor. That's going to require interaction student to student, instructor to student, and being aware of what are your ratios, what are your tendencies to want to incorporate that versus make that the the meat of, of the burger. That's something yeah. to be aware of. And I I think it always comes down to a missed assumption or expectation that mm-hmm. online courses are easier to teach or easier to implement when in reality I think it's actually a lot harder. There's yeah, so to much do that, it successfully. To do it well, yes. Yeah. Oh, you could you like we're saying, you can build a quick course and turn it on and walk away. That doesn't mean that students are gonna learn. That doesn't mean you're gonna help achieve outcomes that need to be achieved. And so I I, I always want to, in the in the healthy way, in the appropriate way, kind of ask instructors, what is your view of this asynchronous learning environment and how are you gonna maximize your role as that subject matter expert to help push the students learning forward. Right. And and that's really what this is all about is looking at that substantive and substantive for the record uh, just means that it has to do with your course topic. You are talking to your students about your course topic to enhance their learning of said topic. You know, we talk about, of course, uh, the low stakes testing that's auto graded. Yes. But also sometimes informal practices, that's another key thing that is missing. And I would say not just in asynchronous classes and not just in online classes. This is something that's missing even in our in-person classes a lot of times at the higher education level. Yeah. Because we assume that students come to our courses with certain skills. And while it's true that they may have these skills, those skills may have looked different at their high school. It may have been a different format, even if they learned to write a certain way. And so teaching them the way that you want it done um, is a is a big uh, barrier sometimes to student success. And I think that that's one of the biggest ways that you can help students set them up for success and give them feedback. So you may not ask for the whole paper right away, right? You may ask for, okay, give me the intro paragraph or give me an abstract of this paper. This is what the format should look like. And then you can talk to them about that format and you walk them through each section. And then at the end, they have that whole paper that they're ready to turn into. You're going to get more or more students with the proper formatting. You've given them opportunities to grow as learners. You've talked about it on task. So regular, substantive. There you go. And it's all interactive. Right. And you've hit both informal. I keep saying informal, summative and formal like type of assessments throughout the the course. Right. Right. You've been able to implement. Am I thinking of of formative? Formative. Where am I? (laughs) Why am I thinking formal? I said that earlier. (laughs) Formative and summative. That is how I categorize them in my mind, though. I think of a summative assessment as a formal assessment because it's evaluative um, in a way that a formative assessment, which I think of as informal, is not. An informal or uh, a formative assessment um, is, you know, that really focuses more on their growth and monitoring progress and that summative aka formal right um is you know that's really about this is where you are yeah yeah so i just my my words were getting all crosswired in my brain (laughs) it's what i do also uh so you're not alone i think that's a a common um switch that people make in their brains and i but i think that is where a formative approach to assessment really learning activity blended together really helps meet those these regulations again, and it's are you, that come back to that that quote I used earlier about the pride in your your teaching method. How are you really wanting to engage and and engage and gauge those formative assessments and feedback? If you're already encouraged to do that and you're already motivated to do that, it's going to meet this policy by implementing those types of activities and assessments from the start. 
And you obviously then have a lot more opportunity to go above and beyond with the regular and substantive feedback just by nature of implementing those types of activities versus only some of the things that are a little bit easier to implement, like low stakes um, quizzing and testing, which is good and, and useful. And it's part of building upon the taxonomies of learning throughout the course, and you're going to need that. But I think as we're, we're discussing it, to get to the heart of what RSI is trying to get, you can't just have that. You have to have both. Right. And and I will say there are other types of interaction that are equally important in the course that RSI does not cover because RSI only focuses on instructor to student interactions yes. and instructor initiated yes. especially interactions. But you also have student to content interactions and you have student to student interactions that are those are all equally important things. We're not really focusing on those today, right? but just because we're not talking about them doesn't make them less important, right? <laughs> yeah. So do you want to say, so based on, you know, you can take a look at the, the actual policy, but then these are going to be basic guiding principles that we want you to keep in mind as you think about RSI in your course, rather than think of, don't think of the policy and read only your mindset of the policy. Think about maybe these types of components. So yeah, like like Alice was talking about, these uh, these next things that we'll go through, and I'm just going to read through. We kind of have four suggestions here yeah. for just some guidelines to help you think through this policy. Um, the policy will be in our show notes as well, along with our U of A. It's riveting. <laughs> sorry, sorry. It's ribbiting. Ribbiting. <laughs> it's another frog. Um, so we have, we do have four just kind of guiding principles. One is uniform implementation and expectations. And this just means that you need to ensure fairness and you're applying the same expectations across all of your instructional modalities. It doesn't matter if you're teaching an in-person course or an online course. Now, the practices you engage in may be a little bit different because you're meeting synchronously with your in-person course, right? And you can't do that in asynchronous course, but you can have an alternate way of doing that. Um, I will also say that by setting up weekly office hours, where you say, here's the Zoom. I'm going to be sitting in the Zoom every Monday from three to five. You know, come if you have questions or you know what? Um, I've kind of seen that it's even a better strategy for that is actually to create a topic that you're going to be talking about mm. and then tell people they can come with additional questions if they want. Yeah. You can record that and put it in your class so yeah. that people who can't attend Mondays from three to five um, are able to see what's going on. So just making sure that whether or not you're face-to-face, -face, whether or not you're asynchronous online or asynchronous online, you are implementing RSI uniformly, like consistently in every class that you have. Yeah. Because... The, oh, go ahead. Oh, because students deserve that chance to succeed Right. Yeah. The the way I would maybe word it to an instructor is obviously it's not going to line up 100% the same across these modalities, but could a student in your face-to-face -face class be dropped into an asynchronous version of your course, the same course, and, and understand the lay of the land right. or be in a synchronous version of it and still understand, okay, I see where this that's being played out in my face-to-face -face course is matching here in the right. asynchronous course, and even though I would maybe say this just in person to the instructor directly, here's where I can go, or here's how I interact, or, oh, the instructor's doing this in this prescribed announcement here, letting me know in a way where they would just say that face-to-face -face the first five minutes of class anyway. Okay, I'm good. I understand where I'm at. This is the lay of the land for this. Yeah, if suddenly your in-person student had to switch to your asynchronous online course mid-semester, yeah. um, then would they be able to navigate that? Right. 
And again, not every instructor is going to be doing both modalities right. at once. And that's probably... Let's pretend. Let's, let's just imagine if that was your scenario. We understand that's that's not always the case. If if not, it's rarely the case. But uh, the other one, another one is proactive monitoring and engagement. So basically just understanding that you as the instructor, you're not just the facilitator of content, but you are the proactive monitor of the students in the course to ensure that they are engaging and that they are successful. That doesn't mean, obviously, that you're guaranteeing any great outcomes, but um, do you have predicted and scheduled opportunities for those students to interact regularly with the content? Um, does it match up to the the skill sets and the requirements of the course pedagogically, right? Are you hitting the right taxonomies? Are you meeting them at the, the correct level? And then are you engaging with them in a prompt manner? Are you getting back? Do you have a policy? Are you getting back to them per the syllabus? I will respond to you within 24 hours or I will respond to you within 48 hours. And if they, they have that clarity of, of expectation to know if I have a question, no, I can't expect it to happen automatically because that's just not how online instruction works. But if I have a question, I know where to go and I can understand that my instructor is going to get back to me within a certain amount of time. Uh, one other element that I would include, and this is especially useful in the different learning management systems, is you can create settings that notify you when there are risks of students dropping below certain thresholds of interaction in the course. You can have, like in, in Blackboard Ultra, it can notify you when a student has been inactive in the course after a certain number of days or a certain number of weeks, or I, I would recommend days, not, not we. If, well, I do think it says days on there. So yeah. if you wanted it to be weeks, you'd have to just like increase your yeah. day numbers. Yeah. But if they're, and again, if, but if they're not interacting in the course every three days at minimum, that's that's that should be a yellow flag to you. And, again, and you can you can get pings to your email, to your messages to that where the LMS is going to tell you, hey, this student might be at risk. You might want to check in with them. That's a that's great leveraging of the technology to your, right. your advantage as an well, instructor. And you can do the same thing for their grade percentage. If it falls below a certain threshold, yes. you will get alerts. Also, you can set it so that the student gets alerts. Now, these alerts do come to their Blackboard stream. So if they are not, in fact, logging into Blackboard, they will not see the alerts. Right. And so that's why it's really important that you also send the emails. Yes. Well, and send it to yourself at the very least so that then you can then reach out personally and directly to the student. Well, you can reach out straight from Blackboard Ultra. Yeah. Um, and you can reach out from an assignment. You can reach out from yeah. the, the gradebook. You can reach out from the uh, participant roster. Right. They so, have made it ridiculously easy. <laughs> to email your students. Yes. You can email many of them at one time and it'll send separate emails to them so just don't put people's names um and and it'll talk about really you know just to say hey i noticed you didn't access this yet it's due tomorrow you know are you needing any help is there right. anything going on um just those regular kind of check-ins to say hey i noticed yes something is different right here yes so that's another component that if you are, again, proactively monitoring, proactively engaged, you're going to be hitting that principle, which helps meet RSI. Go well, ahead. Something that we don't talk about very often is um, are the components of student engagement. And so, you know, students have effective behavioral and cognitive needs. And the cognitive is that instructional time, like the topic, right? Behavioral is time management, that type of thing. And then the effective is the encouragement type of right. support. And you need this from many different people. You have your course community that includes your instructors and your classmates. And so as an online instructor, when you're building these relationships, that's what you're building is your course mm -hmm. community, right? Yeah. And then they also have their personal communities of support. And we know that not all students have the same level of support in their personal communities. Some people may not have families to support them. Some people may have families that don't know how to support them because maybe they're going to college yeah. as a first gen. Yeah. First yeah. generation of their family. Um, so, so all these things look, look very different. Um, and I'll, <laughs> there's uh, there's also, of course, the um, kind of 
I think of it as the community community because it's like the people that are in your life that maybe aren't in your family that are closest to you, but they are still uh, in your kind of network of people uh, that might be supportive of you. But all of those people and things, that's all a big deal. Um, and as instructors, that's that's what this is all about. Like this engagement that we're talking about. Yes, you have to be engaged, but it's so that your students can be engaged. Yeah. <laughs> so that it's so that they can feel comfortable and they can have the support they need because we do need that support in order to be successful. Yeah. You can't expect the students to recreate something that you're not even demonstrating yourself. Right. So number three yeah. is enhancing substantive interactions. So we have to focus on engaging students in the teaching, learning, and assessment that we're doing in the courses. Um, this does mean direct instruction because you can't you can't do something if you don't know about that thing, right? Right. You have to know a thing before you can do something with it. And so um, doing that, giving feedback on the things that students do in your course once they've learned the things and done the things. Um, of course, responding to questions, making sure that you answer the questions <laughs> that, that students ask That's of a big you. One. <laughs> um, facilitating those group discussions, whether this is in your discussion board or you're doing this synchronously, it's really important to facilitate those discussions because you are the expert in the topic. Right. You are a subject matter expert. You are the person who should be leading students along that academic journey right there. Um, they can't do it themselves. We don't learn by ourselves. That's yeah. a myth. Also, incorporating approved instructional activities. Now, sometimes this can look like you encouraging your students to maybe, let's say you're studying government, let them go to a city hall meeting. You know, um, see government in action. That can be an instructional activity that they're doing. Yeah. Um, it can also look like an activity that you've designed to be in your online platform. It can look like a lot of different things. So don't get stuck thinking, you know, it's got to be this or this. Allow the student to come to you with maybe what they're interested in that actually fulfills the content knowledge that's necessary, but they're expressing it in a different way. Like I've heard an example before of essentially there was a, an essay topic or a research topic and students got to pick their subject. And one of the students came and picked the subject and wasn't performing super great in the class, but had an interest in doing it, but through game design. And the instructor said, well, hey, look, if you can do it and it meets this component of the rubric and this component of the rubric, first off, props to them, they were using a rubric. rubric. <laughs> but by doing so, they said, yeah, you can you can do it through game design. And this student had a passion for that and learned the content, but chose to, instead of doing it through a traditional academic delivery of a research paper or project, did it through designing a game that implemented these different components of the content. That's fantastic. Because you're they're they're consuming the knowledge and the information they need that you want them to get across, but they're also doing it in a way that resonates with them and it's innovative and allows that substantive interaction to take place. So you're saying holding it loosely, obviously you you wouldn't want to give them free reign if they weren't gonna meet rubric standards with that game design. And you're like, no, that actually probably wouldn't be ideal in this moment, but let's think about how we could do that down the road. I think that's a those are those are great examples or great opportunities to allow student freedom um, to express themselves and really gain more out of that learning experience. I absolutely agree. And that's also a way to kind of get student feedback in your course. It's a way to give student choice uh, and flexibility, which is our number four, flexibility and recognition of academic freedom. Yes. And this is a good practice beyond RSI. This Giving people freedom and flexibility in how they're learning your topic and content and skills even um, is a really big game changer a lot of times, especially for students who don't think traditionally. Um, and so it it helps a lot to have uh, either some pre-made options or like you were talking about in your example just now, like having a rubric that is broad enough that it can 
encompass a few different options that students may come up with themselves. Yeah. Also, I kind of want to take a different approach to this component as well, because I think it helps maybe quell some of the fears of that storm cloud of RSI over people's heads and understand that the policy is written and developed with this component especially in mind, that there isn't this cookie-cutter way to implement regular and substantive interaction, and the, the heart of the policy isn't to make you stick to some kind of formula, right? If you have two discussion boards per week of a 16-week course and you respond to X number of messages and you initiate X number of messages with this content in mind, you have their format RSI. That's not the goal and the hope, and it's not written with that in mind at all. There's very much this understanding of how fluid course design is and that this is trying, this is a policy trying to hit multiple levels of of taxonomy, multiple levels of higher education. This is trying to be implemented at four-year institutions and two-year institutions and at freshman level, sophomore level, senior level, research level. I mean, it's 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 the chasm is very wide <laughs> that you can that you can jump into and explore. Yeah. And here's the thing, the need is gonna change uh based on the length of the course, the content, uh the level of your students. If you're teaching graduate students, that's going to be different than teaching their freshman undergrads. It's going to look different for your context. And this is about that flexibility and giving you the academic freedom to choose how it's implemented and how your students need that interaction and need your presence. Absolutely. And so hopefully that helps, again, take that that weight off of the shoulders of an instructor to be fearful of RSI as a policy and see it more as a an encouragement to implement effective teaching strategies. And it's really meant to, to push you into to new ways to ensure that you are engaging well, implementing good practice, being pedagogically sound with your students according to the level that that really matters to the content you're teaching at the grade level you're teaching. And so some easy practices to kind of incorporate these into uh, would be those scheduled office hours every week. Yep. Providing personalized feedback on student work. What are some really... Great job. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> With two yeah. exclamation points. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I've learned so much from this. Is that going to do it? Please tell me more. Is, is that going to do it? <laughs> For me, uh, I don't know Probably what not. that means. Like, what did I do a great job <laughs> exactly, on? Exactly. Where can I grow? How do I get better? Right, right. right? That was, that were, there was a little bit of tongue in my cheek there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, yeah. So, personalized feedback is something that's really important. You do want to make sure that you are giving your students a way to grow from what you're telling them. Superb. That's that that tells me nothing. Right. Except that you liked what I did. But why did you like it and what was meaningful about it? Where else, you know, could right. I, you know, be more superb uh right. in, in getting somewhere? Because no one's writing is gonna be perfect, period. I I, I would like to say at this stage, but uh, ever. <laughs> writing yeah. is going to be perfect ever. And so there's always going to be a way to you um, to help your student grow. And I will say the people who are your A students that you don't really have to worry about on a regular basis, they're the ones that this happens to. And it happens to every student, let me say that. Mm -hmm. But this happens to these students a lot because people think they're already doing well. And so you don't spend as much time as a teacher on these students, right? but they deserve to grow. Yeah. Differentiating instruction, you need to still encourage that student to reach to that next zone of development, right? right? How am I encouraged? If I just say superb or excellent or fantastic to that A student, how am I encouraging them to, to grow in their knowledge or to be pushed? Hey, great job on this, this, and this. You met these fantastically. Have you considered this as well. And that can just be a nugget that you get them to, to think about to help deepen their understanding on, on a concept or on a particular element maybe related to what they just completed. 
or throw him a curveball and throw something new at him. I mean, you never know. It's that's where yeah. you can have fun with it as an instructor. And sometimes maybe it's just the the bandwidth of instructors is so tight to begin with yes. that we feel we can't. I'm already having to. <laughs> You're already juggling that's, so that's, much as an instructor. Yes. It's a heavy load sometimes. Yes. So we're not we're not saying that without that in mind. It's right. just something to 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 put alongside right. in your mind when you're going through feedback. How am I encouraging those students who already are meeting the Don't goals? Don't forget your excellent students. Yes. Um, they're all excellent, but, you know, the ones who are excelling in your class, there's room to grow. Another way is to participate in those discussion boards. The discussion boards that are that are really important for student-to-student interactions are also really important because that's an opportunity for instructors to kind of guide in a meaningful way the conversation a little bit. I will caveat this. Uh, It can be done with questioning strategies. And we have another podcast episode on that. But you want to take a moment to guide the conversation from a contextual and topical standpoint in discussions. That's the substantive part, right? And you are initiating the feedback that you're giving your students. And so that's one way that's pretty easy to add in if you're not already doing this. Another instructor-initiated contact interaction. Yeah. I I like to encourage instructors in the online courses that I build. If They don't have to be weekly, obviously. They can be topically based as they, they make sense to the content of the course. But to incorporate those within the actual learning activities and, and instructions within the course on a, on a weekly basis if possible, but then also to open up just the general, like I think in some instances it's been called the cyber cafe, or I just call it like a general discussion board uh, to put that, nest that somewhere that's like present within the, the learning management system so students mm-hmm. see it frequently. And that can be that open forum. So it helps to maybe in a in a digital way simulate that casual interaction in between the, the starting and ending periods of courses when they're face-to-face, right? It doesn't have to be an email, formal email. It can be a student has a quick question. They pop it into a, a general discussion area that's going to benefit the student-to-student interaction, but also the instructor has an opportunity. And it's hitting on some of those other necessary and important methods of interaction. And one of those is student-to-instructor. But then that also gives a space where the instructor can say, hey, I can initiate feedback here as well that I know is going to be beneficial to the students. You can do that in those types of what other? Email students with feedback about their work in the course and throughout the course. Um, And then make announcements. And these announcements, one thing I really love when instructors use that uh, question analysis tool on Blackboard. Right. And then they do kind of an analysis of an assessment for the students after they've had an assessment or a paper or something. And just say, oh, you know, I noticed on this question, like 30% of you got this wrong. I'm going to walk through this and what this means. Here's how you, you know, should have answered it. Yeah. Or here's another resource that you can see it from a different way that I haven't maybe shown you before. And so there are ways to do that. And then also, you know, just providing those extra resources accordingly to what's going on. Yeah. Hopefully these are all practices that feel very concrete and implementable. And hopefully things that you're already doing in your courses and just how can you can think through how can I just take them to the next level. That doesn't mean that you may already be meeting RSI from a policy standpoint, but we always want to be thinking of our courses as as living entities that can always be refined, always be improved, and always be developed in ways that really maximize student experience and outcome, as well as your own experience as the instructor. We don't want you to have the Sunday scaries when it comes to logging into your your course every single time. (laughs) Oh, what am I going to get this time? Or, oh, what do I have to do now? But if it's that space that has really compelling, substantive conversation around your content. It's that space where you really get to see students engaging thoroughly and well with what you want them to learn with your outcomes or your objectives, then that's something that should excite you to get get involved in. Well, and I think when you do build those environments, and 
we always say, whose responsibility is it to build these kind of environments and make people engage? Well, and my answer is always, it's 100% the instructors and 100% the students, right? It's everyone's, you, yeah. You, it's, it's all like everyone's 100% responsibility to to be engaged in the course. But when you start building that as an instructor, because you have that uh, authority in the class, then you kind of lead the way in, in that way. And so it's, it's really helpful. And I, I want to say just one thing here, too. When Alex and I are talking about all of these strategies and things that you can do for RSI, we do not mean that you should implement all of these at one time, especially if you are not already doing them. Pick two, yeah. you know, pick two that work for you and implement those. If you're already doing several of these, then think through and pick maybe one more to add, maybe two more if you feel, you know, excited. If if you're already doing a couple, um, then that's so wonderful. We definitely applaud that. Um, if your instructional designers can help you set any of these up, they can also kind of brainstorm with you. Uh, if you want to walk through with them practices you're already using, that's what we're here for. Yeah, that's a good clarification. We don't want this in our effort to dispel any of the fear and concern. We don't want to add more on there just to say, oh, shoot, now I got to go add these four components or five, six, seven components to my course right, on top no. of everything I'm already doing. <laughs> Please don't do that. No, think about how you're already meeting this policy. Think about how you're already being substantive, how you're already regularly involved. And, and if you're not, which I hope you're not, or I hope you're not. I hope you're not not. I hope you're not not. <laughs> yes. Uh, then maybe there, there there is a little bit of that that self evaluation that which which is good and we want you to be aware of that because it's going to be to your benefit and to your students' benefit. But I would say the overwhelming majority of instructors are going to be meeting these in multiple elements already. And how can we take it to to a further degree that right. really enhances outcomes? And you may be new to online teaching, especially in an asynchronous environment. And again. This is what your instructional designers are for. Reach out because we're totally happy to talk with you about different ways that you can incorporate engagement without stressing yourself out. Because the other thing is, yes, this is a lot of feedback that you're giving students. And you may have a lot of students to give feedback to. But we don't want this to become a burden. We, you know, the, like yeah. Alex said, we don't want you to fill the Sunday scaries every time you open your class. Um we want you to be able to approach it with energy because you feel good about it, not yes. because you're forcing yourself to have energy for your class. Yes. Don't sit down at the table with that plate, with that big old frog on it by yourself. Let's let's pick up a fork and knife together and let's eat this thing. Yes. <laughs> let's eat the frog. Or, you know, let's... Cut them in half so you don't understand. have so much it's a frog to eat. It's, it's actually a delicacy. You don't have to. <laughs> you don't have to dread it. It'll taste great. <laughs> and by the way, Alex and I do not eat frogs, and we love vegetarians and vegans. So please. <laughs> Thanks for joining us today on the Pedagogy Toolkit. Be sure to look at our show notes for great resources on RSI. Don't forget to like and subscribe, and we'll catch you here next time. Thanks.